Well, if you've been with us for any amount of time, you know that uh, over the past many years, our church has been a supporter of a ministry called Jews for Jesus. And it's a ministry that is geared uh, toward helping uh, those people, God's, God's people, to see that the Messiah has come and to recognize that. And it's a powerful outreach. It's a wonderful ministry that's been doing this for a really long time. And we're grateful to have with us today David and, and Kathleen Garrett. And, and David's going to come up right now and, and share with us from God's Word and share with us more about the ministry there. And uh, so let's welcome him now. Come on up, David. Shalom, everybody. It is great to be here. Um, and, and this is my first visit to Clayton Valley Church, but I've heard about your ministry for many, many years, and I'm deeply honored to be here. Uh, I didn't even re- uh, some of the problems, I guess, uh, some of the things I heard going on, but uh, everything's been running smoothly as far as I'm concerned. And I mean, uh, John has been helpful, and Tom, and Eric, and Pastor Chris uh, took time in the midst of, I guess, uh, everything else going on. He wanted to make sure that we prayed together. You know, with all that he's got going on and going through reentry, he wants to pray with me. Well, uh, to be here is like being among family. And the Hebrew word for family is mishpoka. And the people at Clayton Valley Church over the years, you have really been mishpoka to Jews for Jesus. And maybe some of you have no idea. Uh, I, uh, my wife, Kathleen, Kathleen, where are you? Oh, Kathleen is right there. And, uh, her picture is, is up there, but Kathleen right here, we have been, uh, involved with Jews for Jesus since we were 18 years old and have been on staff for 40 years. Uh, so it's been pretty much our lives, but I, I had to sit down and I had to count, uh, that I am the 17th person with Jews for Jesus who has been at Clayton Valley Church over the years. I think that might be some sort of record. Uh, at least, if it isn't a record, that has to be in the category of mishpoka because you don't keep inviting people back over and over and ministry back over and over again if you don't believe in what we're doing and you don't consider us family. So I, I was telling Pastor Chris, I'm just deeply honored to be representing uh, Jews for Jesus and representing the Lord this morning and to be among family. And by the way, where's Zach? Zach, great job. Um, he told me that uh, this is, uh, he only does this uh, like three times a year. He's pinch hitting for Andrew. I don't know who Andrew is, uh, but he's, he's, pinch, he's pinch hitting for Andrew and he got, and and I thought, whoa, the, the worship this morning? Oh, bless me. Um, I, I told you I've been running camps before. Uh, I, I mean, I've been running camps with Jews for Jesus. Uh, blessed be the name of the Lord. We've, uh, in the Columbia's glorious Fourth of July parade, our campers have marched to blessed be the name of the Lord down the main street of Columbia, uh, lifting up the name of Jesus. And to realize that we bless the Lord, whether we're in the dark place, whether we're in the dry place, or whether we're, in, we're just in a wonderful place. No matter what, we bless the Lord. And we said that before him this morning. And then uh, the other thing, and it's going to tie into my message, 
I really am going to tell you a little bit about Jews for Jesus, but all this is just intro uh, because a lot's been happening um, that made me think of these things. But uh, that God didn't want heaven to be without us. And I'm paraphrasing. I didn't memorize it. But the part of the lyric was that God didn't want heaven to be without us. So he sent Jesus. He didn't want to be without us. He wanted to be with us. And he sent Jesus. And, um, and then uh, how deep the Father's love and what he did for us. Um, and it, it's going to tie into my message so much. And then another thing, oh, and I left my bulletin down below. You have your mission. What is it? Growing deeper, walking closely, and reaching farther. Is that it? Did I get it? I, w- I was going to bring my bulletin up here to cheat. And uh, because I, I thought I'd mess up the words, but I, how appropriate. So I'm going to tell you from an outsider coming in for the first time. First of all, I we- read your website, and uh, it is very welcoming. Uh, and it's, it's more than just the design of the website. It really carries with it that we care and that we want to extend ourselves to uh, the community that you serve. You want to be salt and light here in the East Bay. That's number one. Uh, Number two, it had a whole section in there that if you're new, you know, it might be difficult to get around, you know, uh, the facilities and that, but we'll take care of you and, and you have greeters and things like that. You come up here and one of the first things you see on the sign is, and these are tough times. If you need anything, we're here for you. You need gas, you need food, you need whatever. We're here for you. And then you have it up here uh, as well. The way that we're greeted, the way that you go on and on about uh, wanting to be with one another and, and talk. That was one of the longest times I think I've ever <laughs> experienced. I thought, wow, um, this is interesting. Um, but interesting, interesting in a good way. Um, and uh, so I just, uh, as, as somebody who's a guest here, I just want to tell you that you're doing a great job. Keep it up, and um, God is using you here in your ministry, and I am privileged to be here. So now that was my little intro. Uh, sorry about the little intro, but that's my lovely wife, Kathleen. The next slide uh, is... Um, that is the next slide's going to, or should I hit it? No, because we're going to go to a video. Okay, I'm going to hit it. No, I'm not. <clears throat> you know, I, as a camp director, I say it always works. You face all kinds of things in camps and things like that. You always make it work. So we're just, we're just pretending we're here at camp. Um, poor Tom. I, I think he, I, I think he, uh, is it working now? No? I'll go without it, too. Oh, okay. So, all of that, all of that, just so you can see my family, okay? So, uh, this is in our front yard. Um, I like rocks. So, um, 
uh, we ended up, that was a COVID project. Just decided, uh, my dream was to always have a boulder in my yard, and I, I did it during COVID. Uh, but that's our family, uh, and uh, really, my family is more important than rocks. But yeah. So we have two lovely daughters uh, to my right, in, uh, as, as pictured, our daughter Virginia holding a little one, and her husband Joshua, they're in, in Colorado, and they have four boys. Uh, as Simeon, Malachi, Eli, and Daniel. And then uh, uh, our daughter Monica, who gave birth, this was uh, Thanksgiving, uh, to, uh, uh, to Clay and their daughter Lila, and she's married to Noah, and they live in the South Bay. But that's our, our lovely family, and uh, the next slide is... Next, uh, I, okay, this card here. So this card, in your bulletins, you received one. If you could take it out at this time, I would appreciate it. Uh, because we've been here at Clayton Valley Church so many times, you know the ancient Jews for Jesus tradition, the tearing of the card. Uh, there's a, a perforated section, and actually, nowadays, with the wonders of technology, all you have to do is limber this up, a few times, two-thirds of the way through, and it pops right off. Amazing. Now, the thing about this is I'm glad that you're doing this because I don't like these cards. Um, The smaller portion, if you notice it, it says, pray for David Garrett, as if I'm the single man who has been doing life all uh, all on my own all of these years, and I have nothing to do with the family or my lovely wife, Kathleen. And uh, by the way, this is, that, this is a picture um, of us. And if you notice, my right shoulder is raised because I actually have my arm around Kathleen and they cropped her out. <laughs> I know. I, I hate this card. So, so when, you, when, you, uh, when you tear one... And, and you have it, then it never goes back into circulation again, then I can get rid of these cards and get a new card. So this, is, this actually helps me. On this portion, the portion that I don't like, you could actually keep this, and if you don't mind, if you would uh, put pray for David and Kathleen there, and, and imagine that she was pictured with me, I would greatly appreciate that. Um, so that's uh, something to pray, uh, where you can pray for us. On the larger portion, I would be grateful if you would fill out this card. It would let us know that you would like to uh, hear from us, and I'll, I'll give you the reasons why I think you would like to hear from us, and uh, more importantly, of how to pray for us. But if you fill this out and put it in the plate in the back, uh, there's a plate for Jews for Jesus. We'd be happy to be in touch with you. So the next slide is um, uh, something that I've been involved in. I already referred to, uh, referred to is uh, our Camp Gilgal ministry. Our founder, Moish Rosen, who is here at Clayton Valley Church, he's home with the Lord now. Our founder, Moish Rosen, um, he uh, had a, a tremendous burden for young people, and particularly the next generation. And so he knew I liked working with kids and like uh, doing fun things and things like that. And he said, uh, go ahead and start a camp. So in 1991, we started Camp Gilgal. 
Gilgal's the place where the people of Israel camped where they crossed the Jordan River into the Promised Land. And so for over 30 years now, we've been raising up new generations of Jewish believers in Messiah. I've never had anybody clap at that point. That's, uh, wow, I mean, because it's something I I passionately believe in, uh, and and, uh, your clapping means that it hits something that you see that as important. And uh, that's, that's fantastic. But this picture was actually taken in Colombia after our, we marched in the parade. Then they had the games like the Grease Pole and things like that. One of our campers won, and we're, you know, we're celebrating. I, uh, I uh, operate with a yellow hard hat just because it seems like a good thing. And, and uh, so uh, Camp Gilgal, we have a program in the east. We have programs in the west to run camp, uh, for camps. We've been doing this for 30 years. And the, the amazing thing about it is that our leaders of Jews for Jesus now, many of them grew up in Camp Gilgal and are now leading Jews for Jesus. And I just, it's unbelievable. Uh, so that, that's a ministry that uh, will continue. Um, I'm actually in transition now because I've turned over the reins of leadership for Camp Gilgal to two uh, young people who have grown up in Camp Gilgal, have been leaders in Camp Gilgal, and now they're going to take it into the future because we said that we're raising up new generations, plural. And Moose, my camp name is Moose. Moose can't do this forever. So um, there are people going to take it on, and I'm, I'm very excited about that. The next slide is that if you fill out this card, uh, we'd be happy to be in touch with you. But Kathleen and I put out a, a prayer letter four times a year. Uh, it's called Moose Tracks. And if you fill this out, we'd be happy to be in touch with you um, and, and, uh, and send you our prayer letter. Uh, in addition, we'll send you a map of Israel, what things were like in, in Israel at the time of Jesus and what things are like now. Israel is our most fruitful work in Jews for Jesus. I could take the entire time and tell you about what's going on in Israel. It's absolutely amazing. Kathleen and I spent five weeks there in uh, 2018 uh, participating in the largest outreach in Jerusalem since the day of Pentecost. And we were there and, and we could just go on and on and on. But if you want to know about our work at Jews for Jesus, you want to know about our ministry with Jews for Jesus, you want to keep in touch and know how to pray, uh, fill out that card. The next uh, slide is that uh, there are three ways that you can become involved in the adventure of Jews for Jesus. First and foremost, head and shoulders above everything, please pray for us. We receive a lot of opposition in our work, and it's encouraging to know that we have mishpoka, family like you who are standing with us in prayer. And I can't take the time to tell you about Israel. I can't take you to the time and tell you about the 19 families in Ukraine of our staff who are dealing with what they're dealing with, or our staff in Russia, or our staff who are in Poland now working with the refugees, many of whom are Jewish, and, and trying to help them. I, I could tell, go on and on and on, but uh, keep it, uh, fill out that card and we'll be in touch with you. So uh, the next way you can become involved is uh, to utilize our materials. And we have literature and materials in the back, some free and some not-so-free. One of the not-so-free that you might be interested in, you have uh, lots of uh, different Bible study groups, is daily life 
at the time of Jesus. And pictures and words tell us what things were like at the t- in Israel at the time of Jesus. And it's great for Bible study. And the woman who produced this is a Jewish-Israeli uh, believer. And the, uh, she has a four-series uh, set. And these books are available in all the National Park bookstores in Israel. So uh, you could have a copy and, and benefit you in Bible study. And there's some other materials as well. And then the third way you can become involved is uh, there'll be an offering received this morning in support of our ministry with Jews for Jesus. And whatever you give in the offering will enable us to continue doing what God has called us to do. Um, and if you uh, want to give in the offering, you can do so either through your phone or you can uh, use the plate in the back and then put your card in there. But uh, what I want to do right now uh, is uh, show you a short video clip of uh, what's a little taste of what's going, uh, kind of an update on what's happening with Jews for Jesus. And then I'd like to bring a message from Jerusalem to all who are far off. Jesus seemed like he could be the Messiah, but I'm Jewish. The person said to me, have you ever heard of Jews for Jesus? As a Jewish person, when I started to follow Jesus, people would question if you're still Jewish, if you believe in Jesus. What I wish someone had told me when I first came to faith in Jesus is that I could have a thriving Jewish identity and a thriving faith in Jesus together and not have to choose between the two. The reality is all of the first believers in Jesus were Jewish. They saw him as the promise of the Messiah. I want to invite you to join Jews for Jesus as we relentlessly pursue God's plan for the salvation of the Jewish people. Most Jewish people in the world have never heard the gospel and together we get to change that. You make it possible for me as a missionary to engage with not yet believing Jewish people and to tell them that God loves them. And in a sense, it's not really us doing it, it's Him doing it. We're just the ones who are carrying the message. Go and tell. That's what Jews for Jesus is best known for, is that proclamation of the gospel. Out on the streets, meeting one-to-one. Come and see. And that is where we invite Jewish people to come into an environment, a community, a small group, a Bible study. And they can see the dynamic of a vibrant community of Jewish believers in Jesus. Love and serve. There's so many needs. And so we go out there lovingly feeding people, even as Jesus fed and met needs. And it opens people up to the gospel. Through your support, we can show Jewish people how beautiful God is, how beautiful Jesus is, and how beautiful the gospel is. Every week around the world, Jews for Jesus welcomes new Jewish brothers and sisters into the family of Messiah. I'm so thankful for people like you who love the Jewish people and want them to see who Jesus is. If your heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved, you're going to find yourself loving the same things that God loves. You're going to enter into His passion for His people. Jesus is the fulfillment of everything that we've been waiting for. All that the Jewish prophets have talked about, all that God has spoken to us, every Jewish person deserves to hear the truth about Jesus. We found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote. Come and see.
So shalom again in Jesus the Messiah and Savior of the world. As uh, we worship this morning, uh, we were reminded again of God's great love for us. How deep the Father's love for us. God's plan of salvation is woven throughout scripture and throughout history. His plan has always been to save us. So God's plan of salvation, uh, he chose to accomplish his purposes through the descendants of Abraham. In Leviticus 23, uh, the people have uh, been freed from the bondage of slavery in Egypt. They've been slaves for uh, 400 years. Seemed like a hopeless situation, and God promised that he would redeem them, he would deliver them, and he did that. And what happened? They crossed the, the Red Sea, and they entered the desert. Uh, and God was with them in, even in the desert, as we sang in Blessed Be the Name of the Lord this morning. But uh, God spoke to his people through his servant Moses in the desert. And uh, in Leviticus 23, I'm going to read uh, verses 1 through 4. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, These are the appointed feasts of the Lord that you shall proclaim as holy convocations. They are my appointed feasts. Six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work. It is a Sabbath to the Lord. In all your dwelling places, these are the appointed feasts of the Lord, the holy convocations which you uh, shall proclaim at the time appointed for them. So again, the people have left slavery. They're in the desert. God speaks to Moses, in turn speaking to his people, and he says that there are going to be appointed times in which you are going to gather together and you are going to stop everything that you're doing. Okay, and these uh, feasts are going to follow the agricultural year that follows the cycle of the planting of crops, the tending of crops, and the harvesting of crops. And there's going to be seven feasts during the year that follow this cycle, and then once a week you're going to have Sabbath. And the Sabbath means to cease, to stop, to rest. And these are going to be considered holy convocations, times of uh, rest and times of resetting, times of redirecting their hearts back to the Lord. And so the Sabbath was a weekly uh, holy convocation. The Hebrew word for it is moed. So, uh, dear brothers and sisters, dear mishpoka, you might not have known this, but every time you gather here at Clayton Valley Church, you are meeting in Moed. You are meeting in sacred assembly. You are meeting in holy convocation. You are doing a reset. You are stopping what you're doing, and you're having the Lord redirect your heart toward him. And it's actually a gift from God. If the kids, some of the kids are here, that's great. Uh, I, I say, I, yeah, I just, I wish that all young people could hear this, that when you come to church, when you come to worship like this, it is actually something that is a gift from God to all of us. It's a gift from him that he's given that as a gift to say, this is, 
and not only important, but this is going to benefit you. It's going to be good for you physically, it's going to be good for you mentally, and it's going to be good for you spiritually to have that reset. And there's a lot of things that each of you could have been doing this morning other than meeting in Moed. But you believe that this was important. You believe that it was important and essential that you stop what you're doing, that you rest, that you uh, reset mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. It's a gift from God. So uh, these times of Moed were given to the people in the desert. What's interesting, though, is that uh, these, uh, this uh, whole explanation of what is, is going to be happening is happening in the desert. Again, it directs me back to the song that we, the worship uh, that we sang this morning, Blessed Be the Name of the Lord, in the desert place or uh, when everything's going great. The people are in the desert. And they're given instructions that must have had like a cocked head, like, what in the world are you talking about, Moses? We're in the desert. We're going to plant crops. We're going to tend crops. We're going to harvest crops. And we don't even have a blade of grass here. So what they were doing is they were, they were being given directions and um, uh, promises that were going to happen yet into the future. And dear Mishpoka, we this is exactly the kind of situation we're in here in this world. We live with the promise of the blessed hope. Now we don't we're we might be in the desert and there might be things that are going on here that are difficult, but we believe in a God who has us in the palm of his mighty right hand, and no matter what we face, just like we sang in Blessed Be the Name of the Lord, that He has us, that He will be with us, He will take us through whatever we face in life. And so the people are having to live after living through four hundred years of slavery in the desert, told they're going to have all this agricultural stuff going on. There's not a blade of grass, and they still had to live by faith. And dear Mishpoka, that is our existence. We live in the blessed hope. So now, uh, later on, Moses also was uh, given instructions by the Lord. Still in the desert, not a blade of grass going on. And now we go to Deuteronomy chapter 16. Verse 16, three times a year all your males shall appear before the Lord, your God, at a place that he will choose at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, at the Feast of Weeks, and at the Feast of Booze. These are three out of the seven feasts. And these are times where the people are told, not only are you going to be planting these crops and tending these crops and harvesting these crops, but three three of those seven times you're going to go somewhere. Oh, and by the way, you have no idea where that's going to be. But it's going to happen. <laughs> the instructions for what yet will be. People back then, not much different than us now. And the same kind of thing, and living by hope. But these three times a year that they would go to the place that will be, uh, that, that, that God would choose, uh, we now know in hindsight as Jerusalem. That's where they were going to have to report three times a year. So now I'm going to fast forward a little bit. Take you out of the desert uh, and go up to uh, Jesus dwelling among us on the earth. He's a nice Jewish boy from the Galilee. He and his followers, uh, the disciples, 
uh, they made these pilgrimage fees. They went from the Galilee up north and made the trip into Jerusalem three times a year uh, as, as uh, pilgrimage fees. And God chose to use those pilgrimage fees to make clear what his plan of salvation was to the world. That God didn't want to be without us. That he rescued us. And that came through Jesus. The pilgrimage feast, you'd have to, uh, you have to think of it, um, the best way I, can, uh, I could uh, kind of uh, relate to it is, uh, do, you, do we have any football fans here? Anybody like football? Okay, a couple of you. Okay, only a couple of football fans. Wow, I, I know the 49ers didn't make it, but, uh, and the Raiders moved, but wow. Okay, uh, but anyway, the, the pilgrimage feast, you have to think, even if you don't like football, you probably know about the Super Bowl, okay? The pilgrimage feasts are the Super Bowl of the day, okay? The people were told no matter where they were at the time of Jesus, and they were scattered at that point throughout the Roman, uh, the Roman Empire, so they were scattered. They were told three times a year, you've got to go back to Jerusalem, You've got to report. And so these pilgrimage feasts were like uh, Super Bowl week. San Francisco Bay Area hosted the Super Bowl, what, about five years ago. Uh, It was a zoo. We did lots of outreach and things like that. My, oh my, was it packed. And try and get a hotel room or try and get a restaurant or try uh, try to maneuver through, um, you know, all the vendors and things like that. Well, that's Jerusalem at the time of a pilgrimage feast. There are even uh, archaeological digs where they find old oil lamps that give like the name of the feast and the year. You know, the tchotchkes that the vendors were selling to the pilgrims. I mean, they had to come in with their RV, or not really, but I mean with their tents, no vacancy. They just had to get wherever they were going and and into jam-packed Jerusalem. So that's what was happening in these pilgrimage feasts. And now thinking of what it was like uh, Jesus' last months on the earth in human form, it kind of gives you a little bit, it gives us a little bit better picture of what was going on there and what God was trying to do and communicate to the people at the time. Uh, I'm going to take, I can't take you through all seven feasts, and I'm only going to briefly tell you about these three pilgrimage feasts, and I'm going to start with the last one. The last one is the Feast of Tabernacles. That's the grand finale. That's kind of like the, th- the Jewish Thanksgiving. Everything leads up to the final feast, the Feast of Tabernacles. And so uh, Jesus um, uh, celebrated this feast, and, and uh, all the people made the pilgrimage to Jerusalem. So Jerusalem is jam-packed full of people. The Feast of Tabernacles, the final feast of the year, they would dwell in temporary structures, the booze or the, the tents, the tabernacles, were to remind the people that life is temporary and that God provides. They were also to bring uh, choice fruits and leafy palm branches and all kinds of things like that to rejoice before the Lord and to remember all that he has done for them. And this is a this at the time of Jesus, and even to this day, the Feast of Tabernacles lasts for one week. So during that time, during the Feast of Tabernacles, Jerusalem's jam-packed full of people, and they are there to rejoice before the Lord and remember all he's done. They're also there to pray that Messiah would come. 
So during the Feast of Tabernacles, what would happen is they would rejoice before the Lord, so they would be singing the Psalms of Hallel. Hallel is the Hebrew word which means praise, and it's Psalm 113 through 118. They would be, they would be singing these uh, hymns, these psalms, as if uh, they, they were their favorites. They didn't, have a, they didn't have a PowerPoint or, or a, a, a hymn book to open up. They just memorized them. So they knew these, and they, they sang the Psalms of Hallel. They waved palm branches. Palm branches, uh, the palm represents righteousness and being upright. And it's also a, a way to praise God. They would go down every day during that week, to the pool of Siloam, the priest would draw a pitcher of water and pour it out onto the altar every day. And that was for two reasons. One, to pray that, the, that God would pour out his Holy Spirit upon the people. And the other, that, that God would provide the winter rains. Now, we in California, we know all about needing the winter rains. The only thing is, is they didn't have the reservoirs. So uh, back then, if you didn't rain, you don't have crops, and if you don't have crops, you don't eat. So rain is very important. So they're doing this all week, and the Psalms of Hillel are going on. They're rejoicing before the Lord. And then the last day of the feast is called the day of Hoshana Rabbah, the day of great Hosanna. And Hosanna in Hebrew means, oh, save us now, God, oh, save us now and an exclamation of praise. So this is going on for, for an entire week. And uh, so a part of the Psalms of Hallel is from Psalm 118, verse 25 and part of 26. Save us, we pray, O Lord, O Lord, which is another word for, another way to say Hosanna. We pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So during that time, they're rejoicing before the Lord, they're remembering all he has done, and they're praying, Oh, Messiah, please come, and maybe this year. And then the last day of the feast is called, uh, as I said, the day of the great Hosanna, Hoshana Rabbah. And during that time, the people would stay up all night. And they would rejoice before the Lord, they would sing the hymns, uh, the songs of Hallel, and, and they would be um, uh, uh, waving the palm branches, blowing the shofar, praying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And during that time, uh, there would be three candelabras that would be uh, lit in Jerusalem. They were 70 feet tall, and they had five-gallon uh, vats of olive oil and old priestly garments as wicks, and somebody had to climb those puppies to get them lit. It wouldn't have been me. But um, uh, the Talmud, the rabbinic writings say that it lit up Jerusalem as if it were day. So that's what was happening at Jesus' time during the Feast of Tabernacles. And the Talmud also said that if you haven't been in Jerusalem at the Feast of Tabernacles, then you truly haven't lived. This was a great big deal. So now, uh, well... Uh, fast forward to John chapter 7. Now you know what the great day, uh, the great, uh, the day of great Hosanna is. In John chapter 7, Jesus is in Jerusalem, part of the pilgrimage feast for the Feast of Tabernacles. And on the last day of the feast, 
the great day, the day of great, uh, Hoshana Rabbah, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. The water pouring ceremony. The Feast of Tabernacles. They're praying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Maybe this year Messiah would come. Jerusalem's jam-packed full of people. And Jesus stood up in a loud voice in the temple area and said, basically, excuse me, I'm the one. I'm here. So there's the Feast of Tabernacles. The pilgrims have to go home. Now you think they might have had something to say. Mom didn't get the t-shirt that said, guess what mom got me in Jerusalem this year. She had a story, they had a story to tell. You'll never believe what happened. We've been, we've been praying, Messiah, please come. Every year while we go to Jerusalem during the Feast of Tabernacles, and this year, Messiah, uh, uh, somebody's come and said, I am the Messiah. I am the one. And so that was what God was doing to accomplish his communication to people that he is the Messiah, the one who was there to save them from their sins. So now you go a few, you go a few weeks later um, uh, in, into Passover, which is the first feast of a pilgrimage feast, but the second one I want to tell you about. And Passover is, is uh, God's mighty act of redemption, the people being freed from the bondage of slavery in Egypt. And you, if you remind, might remember, it was through the blood of a spotless, unblemished lamb, the Passover lamb, that the angel of death passed over from death to life. So Passover is to commemorate God's mighty act of redemption. It's also called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And leaven in the Bible is referred to as a symbol of sin over and over again. Paul even said, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you truly are unleavened. So this would also be a week-long celebration. The pilgrims would all come back into Jerusalem again, including Jesus. And so, uh, in, and also in the, later on in the book of John, uh, the heading in most of our Bibles will say the triumphal entry. The triumphal entry to what? The triumphal entry to go into Jerusalem for a pilgrimage feast. The feast of Passover or the feast of unleavened bread. And so Jesus coming into Jerusalem with his followers in John chapter 12... The next day, the large crowd that had come, pilgrimage feast, to the feast heard Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They were starting to get it. And uh, some people get a little bit confused. How could the group at the beginning of Passover say, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and then at the end of the week, it's crucify him, crucify him. Well, that's where you have to think Super Bowl. The Super Bowl doesn't host the fans, only the uh, fans rooting for one team. The Super Bowl city hosts both groups. And so uh, uh, when that happens, you get people wearing different colors and team, rooting for different teams. Very much the same of what Jerusalem was like at this time. You had people coming in, the, uh, in who were for Team Jesus saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and we believe that you're the Messiah and the Savior of the world, and we have those who, who, who don't believe that. 
And so that's what was happening in Jerusalem. Why were they waving palm branches? Because that's what, it was an arbitrary item that they just gathered up. It was something that they had been waving every year as a praise to God, as a reminder of their prayer, Hosanna, that God would save them from their sins. And also an interesting fact, because we live here in California, you might be interested in knowing this, uh, most of our palm trees aren't native. Uh, most of the palm trees in San Francisco, uh, in uh, California, came because of uh, the Spaniards who came here and settled the area and uh, established missions, and they wanted palm branches for Palm Sunday, so they palm- planted palm trees. So uh, when you see a palm tree, just remember, uh, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and that's why they were planted here. So anyway, uh, God uh, was... Uh, using Passover itself uh, to explain to the people and to make it clear of what his plan of salvation was. Because we know what happened during Passover week. We know that Jesus willingly laid down his life on the cross to pay the price for our sins and to become the Lamb of God who takes away uh, the sin of the world. At the moment of um, his death, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split open, the sky darkened, and the tombs were broke, uh, broke open. And the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the city and peered before many people. Whoa. Whoa. Not only the guy who said, uh, that, that, uh, said that he's the living water, that he's the Messiah... The one who the people said, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Not only did he die through crucifixion, but the sky darkened, the ground shook, the rocks broke open, the dead were raised, and many people who had been uh, previously dead were now walking throughout the city. Now you think that when they went home from the pilgrimage this time, they really might have had something to say. You will never believe what I saw in Jerusalem this time. And so actually, God was using these pilgrimage feasts already to take a message to the world. And just before his ascension, Jesus said two things to his disciples. First of all, he said, don't leave here, don't leave Jerusalem. Wait here for the promise of the Holy Spirit. The second thing he told them was that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now that, then Jesus ascended into heaven, and he said to his disciples, wait here, I have something big. The something big was the third pilgrimage feast that I want to tell you about, and that's the Feast of Weeks. It's called Shavuot. Uh, Shavuot means Feast of Seven. It's celebrated seven weeks and one day after Passover. That's 50 days, and the Greek word for 50 is Pente. And that's where we get Pentecost. Pentecost is one of the three pilgrimage feasts. And we're about ready to get to celebrate uh, Pentecost right now. We are in that 50-day period between Passover, Jesus' resurrection, and the day of Pentecost. So in Acts chapter 2, in Acts chapter 2, the pilgrims all come back into Jerusalem again. And 
and uh, beginning with verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. So anybody who's read the account out loud of uh, of Pentecost knows that you have to pronounce all of those names of places and people groups that you have no idea how to pronounce. Those are the pilgrims. Those were the pilgrims. Why did they speak in the different languages? Because God wanted to communicate his message to the people in the language of their own hearts. All the pilgrims who were there. And so, who gives the message that day? Peter. Unbelievable. Fifty days earlier, Peter was the one who denied his Savior three times. He didn't have any right whatsoever to bring that message. I have no right to be up here this morning. I have no right to to give the message as well, and neither do any of us. We are all, uh, at times we all feel incapable, we don't have enough knowledge, and inadequate to be able to be a witness for him. And yet God chose every one of us to do it anyway. And Peter is the classic example of that. So Peter gives the message, and what happens? God's Holy Spirit pours out upon his people, just as he had said, and 3,000 people came to faith in Jesus that day. Whoa. That is amazing. 3,000 people came uh, to, to faith that day. And then Peter says to the people, for the promise is for you, for your children, and to all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Did you know, Mishpoka, that were mentioned in the Bible? We're the far off ones. We're the far off ones. We're right there, right in the Bible. We're mentioned in the Bible, we're the far off ones. And as the gospel spread, the apostle Paul wrote to the church in, uh, in uh, Ephesus, to the Ephesians. But now in Christ, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. All of those people who were, had come to faith in Jesus at 3,000, they went home. And they told their friends and family. Then in turn, other friends and family were told, here we are 2,000 years later in the East Bay of the San Francisco Bay Area because of what happened on the day of Pentecost during Shavuot. And we're the far-off ones that are mentioned here. So though, Mishpoka, we are uh, we're far off in time, in distance, and even spiritually, in Jesus, God did for us what we could never do for ourselves. Never, ever do for ourselves. He didn't want heaven to be without us. So he did it for us. So since Adam and Eve fell into sin, God has been relentlessly pursuing us and restored our relationship with him. Through Jesus, he saved us from our sin and made us his sons and daughters. And he has given us the incredible honor and privilege of being his ambassadors to a world that desperately needs to hear good news. Let's pray. 
Lord, thank you so much for my mishpoka, my family here at Clayton Valley Church. Thank you for their, their important ministry here in the East Bay. Thank you for the reminder this morning that um, we're not only the far off ones, but you, we are your sons and daughters. And though at times, Lord, we can feel inadequate, incapable, and unworthy of representing you, you still have chosen us to be salt and light into a world that desperately needs to hear you. Please continue to use us for your purposes and for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So now we come to a time to uh, celebrate the Lord's table. If you have not yet gotten um, the elements, they're out in the front area. Feel free to stand up and go get them. You're not not bothering anybody, but I want to make sure that you have this so you can participate with us in that. Um, so David shared with us already uh, so much about our, um, the, the, the past, the, the, the time in which God took his people and rescued them and those different feasts that celebrated his faithfulness. He referenced Passover. And it's important to remember that the thing that we are commemorating now in, in celebrating the Lord's table is directly connected to the Passover. Right? It's what Jesus was in fact, celebrating with his disciples when he first gave us instruction as to uh, what, what we should be doing to remember him. And uh, I love, there's a, there's a psalm uh, that, that David wrote, uh, in Psalm 34, and it, and it reads like this. It, 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 it happened when he uh, pretended to be insane in the, pre- in the presence of Abimelech, we're told in the heading. And so this is not a high point in David's life spiritually, okay? He... Uh, he was struggling. He was being chased by Saul. And, uh, and yet, God delivered him. David was weak. David was tired. David was afraid. David was frail. David did not feel victorious. He was run down. And yet, God in his faithfulness rescues him. And this is how David responds in Psalm 34. He says, I will praise the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will boast in the Lord. The humble will hear it and be glad. Proclaim Yahweh's greatness with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant with joy. Their faces will never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him from all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. And then he comes to this phrase that I want us to really think about right now. And then he says, taste and see that the Lord is good. How happy is the man who takes refuge in him. Taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed are those who take refuge in him. You ever wonder, why does God have us do something with bread and and with with wine or juice? Why, Why does he do that? God loves giving us object lessons that involve all of our senses. Why? Well, he, he gave us the senses. He gave us sight. He gave us hearing. He gave us the sense of taste. He gave us the multivarious flavors to enjoy. And now in this moment, he's saying, remember what I did. 
Remember, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed, how rich and full is the life of those who trust in him. Again, written from a place of just seeing how weak, how frail, how, how utterly dependent he needs to be on the Lord. He pens those words. So in this moment, we're going to participate together um, by enjoying this table and by remembering. And so uh, if you would go ahead and open the compartment there for the bread. And let's take a moment now in silence just to, to remember our need for the Lord, confess to him our sin, our weakness. Let's seek him together in silence and then we'll partake together. Heavenly Father, we come to you as those who are weak. And we confess to you our sin. We confess to you the ways in which our our thoughts, our actions, our words, our attitudes, they don't honor you. Like David, we allow fear to control our lives. We clamor after our own solutions. And then we find ourselves face to face with our helplessness. And yet we thank you that you are the God out of faithfulness, out of grace, who saves. We thank you for Jesus, the Passover lamb, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And we thank you for his command for us to remember. Our tendency is to forget. So, Lord, we we thank you, we praise you, and we remember now the sacrifice who gave his own life as a ransom for many. We give you thanks in his mighty name. Amen. Let's partake together. This is a time of great joy and celebration. Each and every time we gather together as God's people, that's true. We gather on the first day of the week. Why? Because Jesus rose again on the first day of the week. So the joy of the resurrected Christ is to saturate everything that we do as we rest from our work and we seek our God together. But there's something else that we need to remember, and that is that our debt of sin that we all owe to the Lord, it's truly taken away. It's canceled. His justice has been fully satisfied. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And how, how did this happen? How did God do that? Because I think if we look at ourselves, we go, how can, how can it be there's no condemnation? I am very much worthy of God's condemnation? The answer to that is yes, you're right. But there's a substitute. Jesus willingly came and did something impossible. He 
took our sin upon himself. He paid the price. And then, as he took on our sin, for all who trust him by faith, they receive his righteousness. It's, a, it's a, an exchange that happens that is just and good, carried out by God, completed by Jesus. And so we get to rejoice right now, not simply that the Lamb has come. He has. Not simply that he was crucified and died and was buried and rose again on the third day. He has. But that what that shows us without question is that the debt is really paid in full. It has nothing to do with how we happen to feel about it right now. It has nothing to do with um, what kind of week we had this past week. It has everything to do with the historical reality that the tomb is empty and the debt has been fully paid. So let's rejoice. Let's give him thanks. And let's share in the cup together.